Mary and Martha, paragons of contemplative practice and faithful service, which sort of disciple do you wish you were? And which one are you actually more alike? Before you start beating yourself up for not having a merry heart in a Martha world, let me offer a word of caution. Be wary of preachers and authors and gurus who would take this gospel lesson and turn it into a prescription for intimacy with God in an age in which busyness always seems to get in the way. That isn't what this gospel lesson is about. This isn't a story about Jesus choosing between two disciples, praising the one who sets aside the physical tasks associated with hospitality while shaming the one who neglects the higher calling of sitting at his feet. This story isn't about what sort of disciple we are supposed to be. It's a story about two women, sisters who encounter Jesus, one of whom encounters him as a faithful disciple and the other who entertains him as a curious host. The preference that we are invited to choose isn't contemplation over action, but devotion over fascination. The point of this passage is for us to leave it not merely interested in learning more about Jesus, but committed to following him wherever he will go. A deep dive into the biblical text helps us get from this story what Jesus might teach us. But first, we have to set aside what we might remember about the other Mary and Martha duo, the one that John writes about in his gospel account. Those women were sisters of Lazarus, the man whom Jesus raised from the dead. And both of them, John tells us, were disciples, faithful followers of Jesus. Now, Luke's version of the Mary-Martha sisterhood might stem from the same household, but did you notice that Luke doesn't bother to mention Lazarus at all? He omits Lazarus completely from the story. And even more than that, Luke gives us a Mary and a Martha who are little more than minor characters in the gospel account, just some women Jesus happens to meet along the way. Luke never mentions either of them again. So all we have to go on is the text we have in front of us, a text that describes one woman as a faithful disciple and the other as a faithful host. Imagine, if you can, what it felt like to watch this scene unfold in the home of a first-century Palestinian Jewish woman. A famous rabbi and his traveling companions have come into your town, and Martha, a woman of some standing in the community, has welcomed them into her home. Normally, a woman wouldn't have occasion to invite strange men into her home, so we can only assume that Martha must have been either wealthy or well-connected or both. The word that Luke uses to describe the welcome that Martha offered Jesus is a technical term for one who accepts full responsibility for the welfare of one's guests. It's the highest form of hospitality that one can provide. Luke is the only biblical author who ever uses this word. 
a word he also uses to describe the welcome that Zacchaeus offered to Jesus when he climbed down from the sycamore tree in Luke 19. So by using this word, Luke wants us to realize that this noble woman who welcomed Jesus and his disciples under her roof, that she was duty-bound to take care of all of their needs, which means that she needed all the help she could get. So imagine what it was like to look across the room and see the host's sister not busy setting the table or refilling the guests' cups, but sitting, lounging, lovingly and lavishly at the feet of Jesus. Who did she think she was? One of his disciples? Back then, women couldn't really afford to be disciples. They had too much work to do. Sure, they got their fair measure of gender-specific teaching from the religious authorities, but women were too busy to sit at the feet of a rabbi and study, much less travel with him wherever he went. Women had to take care of the family business and take care of the family home, a lot like many households these days. To the onlookers in that house, Mary didn't really belong at the feet of Jesus. They all knew where she belonged, at her sister's side, faithfully and dutifully serving the guests. So everyone in the room, when they heard Martha come to Jesus and tell him, to send Mary into the kitchen to give her a hand, everyone knew that this rabbi would set the room straight. He was a faithful teacher and a custodian of the Jewish way of life. Surely he would reinforce the sacred traditions of their people. But when Jesus opened his mouth to offer his opinion on the matter, he didn't tell Mary to help his sister, but instead invited Martha to join her. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled by many things, he said to her. Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Watching Martha try to serve all the guests by herself, you couldn't help but notice how frenzied she had become. Luke tells us that she was distracted by her many tasks, and the word translated for us as distracted has as its root a word that means to be drawn about or dragged around. Martha was literally spinning around the room, bouncing from one concern to another, unable to stay ahead of the demands that had been placed on her, pushed to her limits, and pretty upset at her sister's neglect, Martha asked Jesus, an arbiter of morality, to reinforce societal norms. Apparently, she didn't know whom she was dealing with, did she? You are worried and distracted by many things, Jesus said back to her. Those distractions, Jesus' names, have now become full-blown anxiety. In fact, the word Jesus used to describe what had happened makes it clear that that being drawn about had caused Mary now to be pulled apart. We might say that Martha had gone to pieces, implying that she had not only lost her composure, but also her sense of herself. In fact, the word that Jesus used to describe Martha's worry 
is the same word he would later use to teach his disciples that they should not worry about their life, about what they will eat or what they will wear, because that sort of worry causes us to forget who we are and whose we are. All the while, Mary, on the other hand, seems completely oblivious to the chaos that is swallowing her sister. She's pressed all that noise and distraction out of her mind. She sits listening to every word that Jesus speaks. How different those sisters were. And as if to make the distinction even clearer, Luke records for us the last word that Jesus says when describing Martha is many. And the first word he picks up to describe Mary is one. Although in order to make sense of the text, translators have to rearrange the order of the words, those who heard Jesus' assessment of the sisters would have felt sharply the way that Jesus turned from the many concerns of Martha to the singular focus of Mary. That's the issue. Now that Jesus has Martha's attention, he invites her to consider an alternative. It doesn't have to be this way he seems to say to his overwhelmed host. You don't have to focus on what the world expects of you, you know. That doesn't really matter. In fact, even what our spiritual ancestors would expect of you doesn't really matter. Only one thing matters, and your sister Mary, she seems to have found that one thing, the better path, and no one's going to take that away from her. This passage isn't about leaving behind a servant's heart in order to obtain the meditative heart of a different sister. It's an invitation to discipleship that cuts through all the societal, familial, religious, and cultural barriers that get in the way of our following Jesus. This isn't a rejection of being busy. It's a rejection of being busy for the wrong reasons. Jesus isn't critical of Martha's efforts at hospitality. He's critical of the way she gets pulled apart by the demands placed upon her, pulled apart until anxiety overwhelms her, helping her lose touch with what really matters. There is another way, Jesus tells her. Sometimes we are called to sit at Jesus' feet until time itself stops and all the concerns around us melt away. And sometimes we are called to prepare a banquet for Jesus, so wonderful that nothing could distract us from the one who comes to be our guest. Because sometimes we follow Jesus with our minds, and other times we follow him with our hands or our feet. But all who belong to God in Jesus Christ follow him with their whole hearts, their whole selves. The invitation to discipleship is an invitation to a way of life in which our only priority is belonging to God. All other ways of being and belonging, all our identities and allegiances, they become subject to the will of God. I hear in this passage a profound and gracious invitation to those of us who so often feel pulled apart 
by the demands and distractions that pull us away from what really matters. We are children of God who belong to God because we belong to Jesus Christ. Nothing can take that away from us. Whenever we feel the chaos and anxiety of trying to serve two masters, or experience the frustration and emptiness of being told that we don't have enough time to follow Jesus. Jesus comes and gently reminds us that only one thing really matters. When we follow him and give our whole selves to God, every moment, every action, every decision takes on the clarity of our deepest identity as God's children. That is the better part, and no one can take that away from us. Thanks be to God. Amen.